James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Let's pray. Lord, as we open this text, we see already it will look into the chambers of our hearts. We ask you, Lord, to be honest and open before your word and before the teaching of the Apostle James. We are thankful for his clear uh, instruction to us already, and we pray that we might profit and benefit from it in our souls. We ask the Spirit uh, to be our guide into these uh, uh, depths into this uh, life cycle of sin that we'll look at today. And in all of it, Lord, we pray that we would uh, come out understanding that you are the most glorious and holy God, and you are the one who is perfect, and we need your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The title of the sermon is The Life Cycle of Sin. Uh, Motir calls it the, the pathway of death, uh, but James uses words as if it's a child and it grows up. And uh, I have five steps. First of all, carried away and enticed. Secondly, he says desire when it has conceived. Then thirdly, he says gives birth to sin. Then he says sin when it is fully accomplished or fully grown it says, brings forth death. We would say, well, that's the life cycle of sin. And, and the problem with the life cycle of sin, it's not a one-time thing. Its intention in the hands of the devil is not to be a one-time thing. It, it would be good if we could say, well, I was tempted to pride once, and I overcame the temptation, and I haven't been bothered by it ever since. I was tempted one time to be angry, and I overcame the temptation. I've never been angry after that. But that's the not, not the way that sin works. It's not the way that the devil works. It's not the way that our hearts work. And so the life cycle of sin tries to repeat itself because today's temptation and victory might be tomorrow's opening for another temptation and difficulty in our lives. We can't get away from it because James points to individual responsibility as well. Verse 13, he says, let no one say. Uh, a number of times in the, in the epistle, James tells people what to say. This is what you should say. The, uh, the people that said, well, we're going to go to another city and trade and we're going to gain profit. And he says, no, what you should have said is, if the Lord wills, you'll do that. See? He says, let no one say, each person, in verse 14, and then he says, his own desire. So in the text, the life cycle of sin is pointed at each one of us, each individual. And also then is a switch 
from trials uh, to temptations. We saw in the earlier verses uh, manifold trials or many trials. We saw that the, the poor man, though under the trial of being poor, should rejoice in his exaltation. And though the rich man, even though he has everything, should exalt in his humiliation because he, uh, as a rich man, was saved. Then the, the capstone verse, as it was, blessed is the one that has endured trials because when he has passed the test, the, the Lord will give him that crown of life that he promised. And now we switch. Uh, the, verse, the words tempted or tempt are used four times in, the, in, in, these, uh, in these three verses. And it's the inward pull to sin and disobedience or the inner solicitation uh, to evil. And we shift from the outward uh, to uh, the inward. Uh, we've been through a, a few different places already in our study. Uh, you remember that the one writer talked about how James just seems to shift from one to the other. So two to four, there's your trials. And five to eight, there's your response to trials and, and asking for wisdom and the danger of wavering. Then comes the rich man and the poor man, nine through 11. Then the, the blessed man. And now we're, now we're talking about uh, temptation. So it's, uh, what, the fifth different thing that he's uh, going to look at. This uh, verse uh, for uh, uh, these verses for tempting are followed by a, a hinge verse in verse 16. Do not be deceived, be deceived, beloved brethren. And then he says, every good and perfect gift comes from God. So he's going to address that. And we don't have to look at this as some dark and gloomy verse because there's the hinge coming. And he's going to remind us that everything good comes from God. So our uh, goal in, in James' epistle has been to uh, study these things, but we, we, we've been shifting around, haven't we? And you remember the, the people, they're, they're tempted, they're tried, they're in difficulty, and, and that's as if, uh, that's as if he, he wants to get to them as fast as he can and say, now think about this, and now we've got to cover this subject and, and do this and do that, and it's, uh, it's almost uh, proverbial. There's four major headings I'd like to cover. The one who does not tempt, the source of temptation, the result of temptation, and then some applications. The, the one who does not tempt, uh, first of all, is a warning. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted uh, by God. There is, a, uh, there is a tendency for us uh, to do that. His pattern of teaching is is uh, brief and exhorting. He talks in chapter 2, verses 3 or 4, um, what you shouldn't say to the, to the, the man that's clothed, and uh, we mentioned chapter 4 already. What's behind all this is that the, the, the motives impel the speech. Uh, he's anticipating, he's anticipating that you, if you get to the point where you're saying it's God's fault, I'm being tempted by God, that something already is, is gone wrong. You're off course already. Uh, Jesus reminds the, the Pharisees, he says, out of, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. If this speech is coming out of your mouth, something is wrong. We'll see examples that something was wrong with the Israelites. Uh, but we also are dealing with the reality of their temptations. The reality of their temptations adds teeth to the warning. 
it, 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 he's not talking to people who are in a plastic bubble. He's talking to people who were persecuted. He's talking to people who were dispersed. He's talking to people who were most likely shunned economically. There's a lot of rich and poor themes in the, the book of James. He's talking to people who are, who are under pressure. They're not in some plastic bubble. What power does the, the, the warning have if you're not right there in it? And I would suggest to you that the power of the warning has to come to us because we are right in it. In our society, in our world, we look at Amos and we say, what, what is it? The, is it uh, Amos's epistle to the U.S.? Is it Amos, Amos's epistle to the, to the United Kingdom, to other nations that, that, have, that have just completely turned uh, from the living God? So these Christians were under pressure and this admonition is based on their uh, situation and the tendency of the human heart. And James, uh, you remember, is, is trying to be pastoral. He's trying to help them through it. And he's trying to identify with them. He calls them brethren uh, over and over again. If you were trying to minister to people in Sudan or China or, or, or Pakistan, you, you would, you would understand the context. They're, they're, they're in a difficult situation already. You don't have to tell them, be careful, trials are going to come. You say, well, I live in a trial. There's constant pressure. The Chinese government is after me, or the Pakistanis have threatened to kill Christians, uh, whatever it is. Uh, the tendency of the human heart, James, James knows, is to complain uh, against God. Matthew Henry says the combustible matter is in us, though the flame may be blown up by some other outward cause. The combustible matter is right here, but the flame could come from here, someplace else. What did you say? You're driving slow in front of me again? But the, where's, the, where's the combustible matter? Several passages to, to remind us of this from the Israelites, they were delivered from Pharaoh and his army. And they had this tremendous song, one of those songs that just comes up out of nowhere. Uh, the Magnificat and, uh, and uh, uh, Simeon in the temple, they just start singing and they sing these songs. So that's what the Israelites did. And the song lasted three days. They were in good shape on Sunday. By Wednesday, they were in bad shape. And why is they couldn't find any water? And they started to grumble and complain. So the people grumbled at Moses, what shall we drink? And Moses had to take care of it. And they came, they came to this place where there was, where there was water. They set out from there. They got to another place, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron and they said would that we had died at the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when what we had pots of meat when we ate bread to the full you brought us out here into the wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger that's what your goal is imagine that God tells them the man is going to come and this is what you're going to going to do And Moses says to everybody, the Lord is going to do this because he brought you out of, out of Egypt. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, for he hear, hears your grumblings 
against the Lord. And what are we that you should grumble against us? But that's the pattern. Uh, people attack the leaders first and indirectly they're attacking God. So there's the tendency. Now I'm in trouble. Whose fault is it? It's God's fault. I'm grumbling against God. They didn't, they didn't think about it. An amazing passage in Isaiah 63, verse 17. Why, O Lord, do you cause us to stray from your ways and harden our hearts from fearing you? They're blaming God. Why do you cause us to stray from your ways and harden your, our heart from fearing you? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribe of your heritage. We also know from personal experience, many people blame God for temptations and difficulties. You may know people that have never, that have never, uh, quote, forgiven God for what happened. Oh, I'll, I'll never, I'll never go back to Christianity. I'll never profess again. God brought me through this difficulty or whatever happened. One of the writers says, this warning is very necessary for nothing is more common among men than to transfer to another the blame of the evils they commit. And they then especially seem to free themselves when they ascribe it to God himself. This kind of evasion we constantly imitate, delivered down to us as from the first man. So the reason for James' warning is that God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. The person says, I'm being tempted by God. James says, that's impossible. And it's impossible for two reasons. God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. And uh, all as James does is add that negative uh, uh, prefix to the word for, for tempt, uh, like... Uh, the word pathos, and then you put an A in front of it, and it negates it. Apathy means I don't have compassion. So he just uses that word, tempt, and he puts the A in front of it. God cannot be tempted by evil. Uh, God's character is holy, and he's declared to be holy throughout Scripture. Le uh, Leviticus 11.45 For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God, thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. He declares it of himself. Leviticus 20 and verse 26, thus you are to be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart for the peoples to be mine. First, first Samuel 2 verse 2, there is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. 1 Peter 1.15, he says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. After Isaiah saw his vision, he constantly writes in his preaching and teaching and uses the term, uh, the Holy One of Israel. And so, if God doesn't, he can't be approached by temptation, and he doesn't tempt, uh, what does he do? Well, God tests but he doesn't tempt, and it's his prerogative uh, to test. The hymn that we sang, the person said, make me more holy, and God put them through some tests and some difficulties. And they said, what are you trying to do to me? I asked for patience, but I don't want to stand in a long line. 
right? What are you trying to do to me? But God said, I did this all to, to improve your graces. But God tests but does not tempt. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, he says, You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And that's the idea. There's, there's the testing, there's the proving. The, the verse before it, uh, that laid it out for us, because that's using that, uh, that terminology. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved. He's been approved uh, uh, through trials, through testing, through difficulty. The, the, it's come out uh, better than it was. It was God's uh, prerogative to test Abraham. He may test, but he doesn't uh, tempt us. And then uh, the next thing is the danger of believing a lie. It's very common to man, for man to charge God with the circumstances and blame God for his sins, but James wants us to make sure that we don't believe this lie. It, it, it's dangerous to believe this because if God's doing it to you, then where are you going to go for help? You've just taken away all your help. Lord, it's your fault. Now where do I go? God's doing it. Now where do I go? Remember, Satan tempted our first parents out of paradise primarily with accusations against God. He, he changed his character. Oh no, God said this. Did he really say that? Did he really mean that? No, he's, he's trying to hurt you by, by restricting your access to that tree, not help you. And that, that could be running through our mind because the devil is the father of lies. He's going to use the same, the same temptations. But then we come secondly to the real source of temptation. And here it focuses uh, right on us. Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. The force of James' language is is clear, and he uses uh, uh, specific terms. Each one, own lust. <clears throat> Each one, own lust. There's a unique word for carried away. It's used only here in the New Testament. It, it means to, to uh, draw out, to drag out or drag away. The ideas in, in most versions are the words are drawn away or lured. And one of the lexicons in another translation use the phrase taken in tow. That's a picture, isn't it, right? The, the, the truck backs up to the fishing boat, they hook it up and it drags it away. That, that's the picture, taken in tow. Your, your lust is going to come and it's going to drag you away. We are taken in tow by our lust and dragged away. And our lust can pick us up and, and carry us away. And the second word, entice, is powerful. It's only used three times, once here and twice in Second Peter, and Peter is talking about false prophets. Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed and accursed children, enticing unstable, soul, unstable souls to believe this or believe that, to believe false teaching. And Second uh, Peter uh, 2.18 for speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, 
those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. That's their goal. Entice, draw out. It's talking about the, the mag magnetism of desire. And one writer says the hypnotic attraction uh, of bait. And I saw this recently. Edison likes to watch fishing videos. Since we go, we don't catch many, so he likes to see people actually catch fish. <laughs> so the one, the one guy decided to, to get a Pikachu bait. And I don't know if you know Pikachu, it's one of the Pokemon characters. It's this little, this little yellow thing with big eyes and pointy ears, and, and it, it, they had it set up so that it had hooks and things. And the guy takes this Pikachu bait. Edison thought it was crazy, right? Because they have these, Pikachu, these Pokemon cards. And the guy's fishing with this bait. And the fish comes, boom. You see? But that's, that's what it is. The hypnotic attraction of bait. The hypnotic attraction of, of sin and lust and desire. A, a bait made out of a character of a Pokemon still got the fish because the fish can't, he can't help it. It's moving in the water. It's, it's, it's drawing me along. And Peter is right, the, the, fishing, the fishing terminology. So we've seen the force of the language, the powerful words for entice, but we have to also consider man's sinful character. The, the devil's temptations and our struggles don't come to what you might call a, an even playing field. It's uneven because there's an enemy in our souls, isn't there? There's something in our souls that, that tends to it. We, we saw it in the Gospel of Mark. What you got to do to be pure, they said, was wash your hands, scrub them up, then you're fine. And the disciples didn't do it, that's really bad. And Jesus says, no, I'll tell you what's really bad. It's the human heart. That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. From within, out of the heart of man proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. You say that that, that list is staggering. I can't, even, I can't even keep up with all those things. But as you look at them, you, you find yourself in all those words almost. Envy? Got it. Slander? Said something wrong against somebody? I did it. Pride? Sensuality? Wickedness? Coveting? Did I ever covet? Did I ever have thoughts of murder? Have I ever stolen anything? Or had sexual impurity? That You say, well, that list is staggering. But if you look, that's what we're made of because we've experienced those things. That person is not going to talk to me like that. I'll show him. And there's pride and the spirit of murder right there. Paul, in his summary in, in uh, Romans chapter 3, he, he's, he's going to get to the point where he's saying everybody is under sin, and I, I think you're familiar with it. There's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They've become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. He's just eliminated everybody. But that's the gospel. 
Everybody is wicked, evil sinners. Everybody. He says it over and over. Not even one. But what's the remedy? The remedy is the gospel. That's the only solution. Their throat is an open grave with their tongues. They keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. And you've met people like that. I've worked with a guy that lied at the drop of a hat. And you say, why do you lie so much? It just pours out of you that you lie even when there's no pressure on you. And Paul goes on. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood and, and so on. And it says these things to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. And, and that's where we have to sit. You're undergoing trial. The last thing you should say is, I'm being tempted by God. And people twist it around. And they say, well, God doesn't tempt me, but it's his providence. I knew a young couple that said, well, we're, we, we knew it was wrong to have sex, but we decided to do it and let God's providence stop us from doing it. Brethren, don't even play with God's providence like that. Don't even say, well, I'll go on a course of sin, and if God wants to stop me, he'll stop me. He might stop you so far down the road that you'll never be able to come back. Right. Playing, playing with the fact that God is absolutely holy and man is sinful. Waiting. Let's see. Is somebody knock on the door yet? All right, take off more of your clothes. Is somebody interrupting us yet? No, let's continue to do evil. Staggering. But we all have our own ways through our own little mazes, don't we? Oh, nobody, nobody can follow my little maze except me. It clarifies the danger of man saying that God is is tempting, and what could be clearer than the difference between the character of God and the character of man? When God's holiness is character contrasted to man's sin, the danger of blaming God comes into sharper focus. T uh, Thomas Manton talks about this, two, two uh, quotes that summarize. Men would do anything rather than think basely of themselves, for it is man's disposition to be right in his own eyes, Proverbs 16, 2. We love those glasses that would make us show fairest. It is against nature for a man willingly to profess his own shame. And then he says, partly through a wicked desire that is in men to blemish the being of God. That's what it is. Man naturally hates God, and our spite is shown this way, by polluting and profaning his glory and making it become vile in our thoughts. For since we cannot raise out the sense of the deity, that's raised like you would raise a building, R-A-Z-E. For since we cannot raise out the sense of the deity, we would destroy the dread and the reverence of it. I can't get off, I can't get God off his throne, but I'll just throw some mud on him anyway. I'll just take away some of his reverence and his, his glory. It's, it, I can't get that out of my mind, but I'll destroy the dread and the reverence of God because nobody is going to pin something on me. That's what Manton is saying. You can't tell me about my sin. So we looked at man's, uh, 
sinful character than the result of the temptation. In verse 15, then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Now here's the whole plan. Now nine months is done and it gives birth to sin. It conceives and gives birth. And when sin is accomplished, it, it brings forth death. The fruit of the seed of lust, it's his own lust. There's natural consequences. Verse 15 starts with a then. Uh, Jesus uses it, first the blade, then the ear. It's that word that, that shows consequence. And here's the, the birth picture. Both the words for conceive and give birth are common words for conception and childbearing. The word translated conceive is the same, uh, for instance, as that found in Luke 1, 24 and 26, to speaking of Elizabeth conceiving. The child of lust is always sin. That's the point. There is within us a deep well of dominating and alluring desires. There is within us a fatal weakness which guarantees that we will fall short of God's glorious intentions uh, for us. The weakness is there. So the fruit of the, the seed is the conception. The maturing of the sin is sin grows to full stature. It grows up. The word is translated uh, accomplished in the New American Standard and uh, fully grown in the ESV. It means to, to arrive at a full stature or a full measure. Uh, the only other use in the New Testament is when Jesus says in Luke 13, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I reach my goal. The third day, everything that I'm doing, the culmination of everything I'm doing is, is complete. It's done. And that's what this is. Sin comes to completion, culmination, fullness. It's, it's done. Here in the letter, it's full grown. There are, there are times, aren't there, when we comment to people, uh, when, we, when we see their children or something, we haven't seen them in a while. And we say, boy, the last time I saw you, you were this big. And we're surprised about this growth. But... That's what, James, that's what James is trying to get us to see. Look at what sin is going to do. Look how big it's going to become. At the, at the pastor's conference, I had this thing over and over and over again. We left there in 1987. We've only been back to visit a few times. We lived someplace else in Massachusetts and someplace else for 28 years. And I saw literally children that I knew when they were this big that walked around with entire families. And you say, oh, I understand that. 30 years has passed. But, but that's the point. How, how big is the sin going to get? What is it going to do? It grows up until it's full grown. And then it brings forth death. That's the next step. Sin becomes the aged man. Sin becomes the aged woman. Sin becomes the person that then dies. That's the goal. That's the, the whole thing about sin. Where is it going? It's going to death. And, and thank the Lord we have this uh, section in James with the hinge verse. The other occurrence of this word brings forth is in James 1.18. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we might be the kind of first fruits among his creatures. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the glory of the whole thing. Sin will bring forth death, but God brought forth children to serve him. 
And in between is the verse that says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. It just pours down all the time. So, so, so these verses are not meant for us to go around in a sinful, mournful fog. I don't know what I'm going to do. The next temptation's right around the corner. I know it. It's for us to recognize what James is trying to get at. The temptation is coming from you. And God is perfect. But he's ordained uh, help. He's ordained for you, if you're saved, to be able to withstand these things. The final result is to bring forth death. The wages of sin is death. If you just... If Paul just hammered away at that, you would say, I'm gone, I'm done. But Paul gives the other side of the verse. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, I thought you said the wages of sin was death. It sure is. It's guaranteed. But God has another plan. And God works out another purpose. This is, this is natural. This is the natural course of sin. Solomon is instructing his son in, in Proverbs chapter 5. He's trying to instruct him against, against an adulterous woman. The picture in Proverbs, the early chapters, is there's a woman who's wisdom and she's calling you, and there's a woman who's an adulteress and she's calling you. And he says, follow wisdom, seek after wisdom, and don't seek after this person. He says, her words are smoother than oil, and they drip honey. Hi, my name's so-and-so. That's what happens. Anybody can do that, not just a woman. Guys can, sweet talk. But what happens? Out of this mouth, smoother than oil, drip honey, Solomon says... Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. He says, don't go over to her house. Well, how come? She's kind of cute. She's talking to me. Go over. He says, her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. That's what sin is always trying to do. The wisdom of Solomon told his son, if you follow in this course of sin, that's what's going to happen. It goes to Sheol, it goes to death. And we can extrapolate that a little bit and say, if you follow any course of sin, it's going to lead to death. Well, I stayed away from the adulterous woman. Well, you might be prouder than a peacock also. And the, the same place, your house is leading to death too, if you're filled with pride or filled with any other sin. The overall teaching of the passage is clear. We need to go back uh, to, to it uh, again and again. And then as we, we come to applications, uh, Matthew Henry says again, Afflictions as sent by God are designed to draw out our graces, but not our corruptions. And that's why that hymn was so appropriate. And that's why us blaming God is so false. Because God is actually trying to make us stronger and make us better and make us fight against temptation. And James is trying to, to load us up. And the book of Hebrews is trying to load us up. 
pull out your spiritual, spiritual magazine and put those bullets in. I'm saved. Jesus helps me. And, and, and those things, not like, oh, I can't do it. This temptation's coming on me again. I'm going to stumble again. I'm going to fall again. Because that's exactly what the devil's going to do. I'm weak. That's right, you are. I'm going to fall in this again. You bet you will. Your repentance is phony. You're nothing but a phony. Just go to the church and resign. Write your resignation letter now because you're a phony. But the person has to know that that is a lie from the devil. And the person has to recover and fight. And the person has to do what the next application is. Run to Christ. Run to Christ. The hymn says, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Our passage requires us to look that our graces are being uh, 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 drawn out, not our corruptions. And the second application is run to Christ. 1 John 2, 1 says, we have an advocate with the Father. People nowadays says, oh, you do that, I'm going to call my lawyer. Well, you got trouble with temptation? Call your advocate. Get your advocate. An advocate, an intercessor, a help, and he understands he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Amen. And it doesn't mean like somebody tried to tell me that in a tiny period of time, he experienced every temptation that man could be tempted with. No, it was the broad categories of temptation. I can go to a Savior who understands every temptation that I face. Right. And is providentially in control of the situation that brought me into that temptation. An advocate with the Father, we have a mediator, we have an intercessor, we have a help, we have someone who understands. And so our goal is to strive and see the cross and live in the power of forgiven sin. And when the devil, and when the devil accuses, we could say, you're right. That is me. I have failed before, but I have an advocate with the Father. And I'm going to resist you with my last breath if that's what it takes. Because this is not the pathway for me. The pathway for me is someplace else. In dark trial, then we were able to say, it's well with my soul. And then, and then there's a promise. I... I sometimes didn't like this promise in 1 Corinthians 10, chapter, uh, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And sometimes we say, oh, I get a battle with this. Nobody else, nobody else knows this. No, that's wrong. I remember there was, as a young Christian, there was a guy I thought he was so spiritual. The one day he says, brother, I struggle with lust. I'm like, What? I never, I, I never pictured that the guy could. But what a comfort. What a comfort it was me. Not that, oh, now we could lust together. No, but, but what a comfort. I, I never thought that those things affected him. He just seemed like he was right there with God all the time. 
No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. I'm not in this alone. I'm not by myself, and I can't act like it. But it says, God is faithful. We studied the faithfulness of God in our last men's meeting. The faithfulness of God goes back to before time. The faithfulness of God goes to, through every page of Scripture. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able right? There goes the leg of my other excuse out, out there. Oh, this temptation's too much for me. No, it isn't. You're not fighting hard enough. You're not seeking help enough. You're not looking at the faithfulness of God enough. You mean I should be able to withstand every temptation? You should get close. Be perfect as I am perfect. That's what God says. You should be close. You should be struggling. We should be fighting. You mean I have the power to withstand every temptation? That's what it's saying. Who will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also. How do I get out of this? Lord, where is the escape? Amen. The escape might be, will be more sanctified in this area. So that you may be able to endure it. There's the purpose, that you'll be able to endure the temptation. How did Joseph, how did Joseph get out of the temptation with Potiphar's wife? Day after day. Lie with me. Let's sleep together. Lie with me. Let's sleep together. Leave me alone. Finally, she grabs him. What was his way out? Leave the coat. You see, sometimes that's what we got to do. We got to leave the coat. We got something on that was that we shouldn't have on. Or we can't get out, and we got to say, I'm going to do whatever I can to get away from this. And, and Joseph is the perfect picture. There's nobody around. There's nobody in the house. And he says, how can I do this, this great evil and sin against God? So uh, this passage is an encouragement. So we look at our reactions to sin. We run to Christ we strive and we understand the promise that we're not really tempted beyond what we're able. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us help to understand these things. We, we cannot in assent to many of these things. We've struggled with these. There is no temptation that's not common to us all that seems to fall upon us all. We're thankful for the promises. We're thankful for our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to know to be able, that we are able to, to, to run to him because he knows our hearts, he knows our lives, he knows when we fall. Help us to do that. Help us also to set our mind to be uh, perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.